the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. If you're at a place in your life where you somewhat identify with David, I don't know if it's adultery or whatever it might be, whatever the sin issue, you can be made right with God. And not just so that God's not, quote, mad at you. God loves you, and you can be made right with God such that he takes your sins away. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. David committed a sin that ended up getting people killed. It was a sin which he regretted the rest of his life. Pastor Gary points out, though, that David took that sin to God. As ashamed as he was of it, he shared his sin in hopes that others would not make the same mistake. We, too, will have sins which we regret, but now God gives us Jesus for redemption. If there's a sin in your life which you believe to be unforgivable before God, know that Christ has offered to take that sin from you. Give it to Him, and you will find redemption in your life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 51 for part two of today's message titled, The Sin Solution. one of these nights where we're lying in bed and, and I'm turning the pages like three and four at a time and, and we come to this one page and it's crayon scribble mark all, all through the pages scribble mark and he's the oldest and the only child at the time and, and he was like four or five and actually we did have Austin but, but Austin was I knew that he wasn't the culprit and I looked at Tyler and I said uh, not that he's any better but because he was too young uh, where is he but anyhow um But I said to Tyler, so we're looking at this book, and I said, Tyler, look at that. Look at that. Who did that? And his eyes got all wide. And without missing a beat, he said, Mommy did that. (laughs) Mommy did that. (laughs) Threw Mom right under the bus. He knew it was wrong. See, he knew even as a four or five-year-old, he knew it was wrong, but he he didn't want to take the blame, so he shoved the blame off onto somebody else. But there is this instinctive thing. Why? Because God has written his laws on our heart, our consciences bearing witness. This is why David says, look at verses 3 and 4. This is why David says here in verse 3, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
He says, against you, you only have I sinned, Lord, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. David's like, I, I just submit my life to you, Lord, because I know you're right. You, you are a good judge, and whatever you have for me, I accept. Now, he's going to plead for the mercy of God, but he recognizes that God is just in doing whatever, whatever might follow. So David knows God's laws. But his conscience has convicted him that he has offended God by his actions. And so there are five things that I want us to see. And I'm going to go through the list rather rapidly. But there are five things that I want us to see from chapter 51 here that have to do with this broader subject of sin. Not, not David's sin per se, although some of that's going to get woven into this. But the broader subject of sin and how it affects all of us. Now, I will say this before I even give you point number one. There are times when I step up to the pulpit, you know, I'm dealing with a subject like this, and I feel like how doctors must feel sometimes. By that, I I, I don't mean that I think I'm God. Um, (laughs) Only the medical people got that joke. Let me tell you how I, let me me tell you something. Years, years ago, I was making a pastoral visit to Fair Oaks Hospital. Okay, and, I, and you had to sign in. I have a, a clergy ID badge, and, I, and I'm making my way up to the right floor, and I get on this elevator, and the elevator opens, and there are five nurses already on the elevator. And I step into the elevator, and they saw the little clergy ID badge on me, so I step in. I said, hey, hello. And they, they saw the clergy badge, and they said, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm here making a hospital visit. They said, would you like to hear a good joke? All right, five nurses on an elevator asking me if I want to hear a good joke. Go ahead. So they said, what's the difference between God and doctors? So I don't know. You tell me. They said, well, God really is God and doctors only think they are. (laughs) And they were cracking up hysterically. I didn't even get the joke. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Oh, come on. You not only turn the pages, you give fake laughs every once in a while too, don't you? I was just like, ah, and they said, okay, we see you don't get the joke. Well, sometimes doctors have God complexes, and then they're just laughing. I, I know that doesn't apply to any doctors here at Cornerstone. <laughs> it's only Fair Oaks Mall doctors, Fair Oaks Mall, Fair Oaks Hospital. <laughs> Fair Oaks Hospital doctors. Anyway, I digress. But I sometimes feel like a doctor stepping into the pulpit. Why? Because doctors have to sometimes give you the bad news. Here's the diagnosis. Sounds really terrible. But now here's the remedy and and here's the treatment. And sometimes dealing with a subject like sin, which we're going to talk about here, there's some bad news I got to give you up front. But hold on because there is a good remedy at the end. And there's a wonderful treatment for our souls. But you're going to have to hear the bad stuff first. And the first thing that we learn about sin, number one for you note-takers, is the sin condition. The sin condition. Once you notice verse 5, David writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now he establishes here a very important doctrine of the Bible right in this one verse. He tells us that our sinful condition is inborn. That we are conceived in original sin and born with original sin. David will even say later in Psalm 58 verse 3, even from birth the wicked go astray, from the womb they are wayward and speak lies. The Bible even tells us in Ephesians 2 verse 3 that we are by nature, NIV says objects of wrath, King James says children of wrath. We are by nature 
children of wrath. Now, God's wrath is reserved only for the guilty, which indicates what? That we are guilty because we're called by nature objects or children of wrath because by nature we are sinners. We have a sin nature. Now, it wasn't that God created mankind sinful. God created mankind upright. But it was our great ancestor, Adam, who blew it all for all of us. Yes, that Adam from the book of Genesis. When Adam rebelled against God, when he disobeyed God, he corrupted his nature. And then he transferred that corrupt, sinful nature through his seed to successive generations. It's a spiritual thing that happens, but it is reality for the entire human race. that By Adam's sin, his nature was corrupted, and he transferred that corrupted, sinful nature through his seed from generation to generation. And thus, we have all been affected. None of us is exempt. All right? We're all guilty. We're all sinners because we all belong to the Adam's family. (laughs) No, it, it is true. Think about it. They're creepy. And they're kooky. They are mysterious and spooky. They're all together, Uki, the Adams family. There, some of you got it. Some of you, some of you picked it up. All right, very nice. But it is true. And as a result, Paul says in Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Solomon, David's son, would write in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, that there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. The apostle John put it even more bluntly when he said in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have the same condition. It is a fallen, sinful condition. Number two, it is also important to understand the sin deception. Hebrews 11.25 tells us that sin is pleasant, listen, for a season. Sin is pleasant for a season. But after it runs its course, it leaves you feeling empty and betrayed. Sin promises much, but delivers very little. And it usually comes with a cost. It deceives us. Because it never speaks of the consequences. Sin will never tell you the consequences up front. It will only speak of the pleasure. But the problem is that the pleasure will last for a short time. However, consequences can sometimes last for a lifetime. Sin is very deceptive. That is why Hebrews 3.13 warns us. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened By sin's deceitfulness. Sin wants to deceive us into thinking that everything is wonderful, just try it and enjoy it. It's all about pleasure. It's all about serving yourself. But in the long run, it takes a drastic toll when we don't understand the deception of sin. There are many people hearing my voice right now who are living a lifetime of regrets because of decisions that they have made. And I urge you and encourage you, if you're at a place right now where you are being stared down by temptation itself, run as fast as you can. Because sin will never tell you the consequences. It will only tell you the pleasure. Which leads us to point number three. The sin progression we see in the Bible 
What starts out as temptation can lead to sin. Uh, listen to the progression of sin in David's story. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the reference to his adulterous affair from 2 Samuel 11. I want you to hear the verbs. I'm only going to read two verses. 2 Samuel 11, verses 2 and verse 4. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Verse 4 says, Then David sent messengers together. She came to him and he slept with her. The verbs tell it all in the progression of sin. David saw, David sent, David slept. Now, if he had stopped at simply seeing that she was a beautiful woman, that just means his eyes are working. But if he had stopped there, it would have been okay. Listen, there was a way out for him. The same stairs that took him up to the roof of the palace were the same stairs that could take him down. But he chose not to. And God will always provide us a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. It is familiar to all of us in some way. Temptation always is. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's the promise of God. Which means what? It means you and I will not face a temptation except that God already knows there's a way out of it. Look for the plan of escape. It's always going to be there. The question is whether or not we will choose it. David didn't choose it. David instead lingered on the palace roof. David instead of just seeing her and walking down the steps, sent for her. And you know that it still would have been all right if he had sent her and then in that moment said, I'm sorry, I, I should not have called for you. Please go back home as quickly as you can. And it still would have been all right. But he not only saw he sent, and then he slept with her. Temptation itself is not sin. Even the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. Temptation itself is not sin. It is giving in to temptation. It is the progression of temptation. He saw, he sent, he slept. It progressed. James tells us the progression in James 1, 13 to 15. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. James talks about this progression. It starts out as temptation, then you're enticed, you go the direction, you end up satisfying whatever your pleasure is, and then it becomes sin, sinful, grown, leads to death. So there is a progression, and we must all look temptation square in the face and say, I see it, I feel it, I understand it, I'm aware of it, but I will not go down that path. Again, the same stairs that took David up to the palace roof were the same stairs that could take him down. The problem is he chose not to take the out. Look for the out. God has always provided it and take it as fast as you can. Number four, we also see in this story the sin contrition. Now the definition of contrition simply is the state of, be of feeling sorry for bad behavior. And David is contrite throughout this psalm. He he's feeling sorry about his bad behavior throughout all of this psalm. 
He acknowledges his sin throughout all of it, beginning with verse 1. If you notice again verse 1, he, he begins by saying, have mercy on me, O God. That's pretty contrite. He's begging God for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Notice in your Bibles the word mercy, love, and compassion all there in verse 1. Because why? David knows that God is merciful, loving, and compassionate. And he appeals to the mercy, love, and compassion of God. Because he is contrite, he is broken. And this is why he writes in verses 9 through 12, Hide your face from my sins, he prays. And blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then near the end of this psalm in verse 17, he actually uses the word contrite. In verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Notice this. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You know, in our culture, we typically have no value on broken things. When something is broken, we throw it away. But in God's economy, he loves broken things. He loves broken people. People who will come to the place of being contrite and just broken in heart and humble before God, where we admit that we're wrong, we confess our sins to God. That's what he wants from us. David is contrite here. All God asks, all God wants from us in regards to our sin is brokenness. He wants us to feel sorry for our sins. He wants us to come clean with him and to acknowledge our sins before him. This is what he wants from us. He's done everything else for us, friends. All he wants from us is to be contrite before him and broken before the Lord, which leads us to the fifth and final point, which is the sin solution. The sin solution. If you'll notice in verse 16, David says something that is, that is rather startling. In verse 16, he says, to the Lord. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Now, wait a minute, David. Why in the world would you write this? This is, this is startling for him to write because back in David's day, the only way to atone for sin was through sacrifice, through the sacrifice of an animal. God had made gracious provision that if you offer an animal, an innocent life, in exchange for the guilty worshiper who was offering the animal that God would accept the innocent life for your guilty life, and it would appease the wrath of God. Why in the world would David say, I know you do not delight in sacrifices, because that was the only thing that would actually provide atonement. Here's why he said this. Because under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, animal sacrifice atoned only in regards to appeasing the wrath of God. Only in terms of appeasing the wrath of God. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 that it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. You see, David's longing was not just that he wanted God's wrath to be appeased. His longing was not just, I don't want you to be mad at me, God. 
His longing was for something deeper than what the animal sacrificial system could provide. What he wanted was for God to take away his sins. That's why he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and grant unto me a willing spirit to sustain me. He wants cleansing from the inside. And the animal sacrificial system couldn't provide that. That was his longing. But what David really wanted was a permanent solution to the sin problem. The animal sacrificial system was only a temporary solution to appeasing the wrath of God. But Galatians 4 and verse 4 says this, in the fullness of time, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. Why? Because through the atoning sacrifice of the death of Jesus on a cross, not only was the wrath of God appeased, because all sin has to be punished, it would impugn the character of God for a holy and righteous God to overlook sin. It has to be punished. But God provides a means and a method by which not only is his wrath appeased, but listen, our sins can be taken away. What Jesus did on the cross is far superior to the animal sacrificial system of the Old Testament because through Christ, not only is the wrath of God satisfied, but our sins can actually be taken away. In other words, the record of our sinfulness is expunged as if it never happened. In fact, this is a very crude definition of the word justified. And in fact, when my son was at Bible college at Liberty I, and, I, and he was asking, Dad, give me a good working definition for justified. I gave him this definition. His professor didn't like it. But take it as it, as it is. A wonderful, simple way to understand the definition of justification, justified in the Bible. When God receives us through the forgiveness of his son Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Because when God looks upon us, he doesn't see our filthiness. He sees the righteousness of his son. When we accept what Christ did for us on the cross, we then can stand in God's presence, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness that we're draped in. Because of what Christ has done for us. So listen on this. If you're at a place in your life where you somewhat identify with David, I don't know if it's adultery or whatever it might be. Whatever the sin issue, you can be made right with God. And not just so that God's not, quote, mad at you. God loves you. And you can be made right with God such that he takes your sins away. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you, says the Lord. God is no respecter of persons. He wants to forgive you of your sins. Whatever your sin might be, God casts them into the depth of the seas. And he says, I will remember your sins no more. That doesn't mean that God is forgetful. What it means is he chooses no longer to hold those sins against you. Because as far as God is concerned, those sins have been removed forever. And I ask you, if you're here today and you don't personally know the forgiveness of God. And you don't know whether or not you're right with him. Make a decision to trust Jesus as your Savior today. Don't leave here carrying the guilt and the burden of your sins. You can have your sins taken away 
If you would receive Christ as your Savior today, and I'm going to give you the opportunity. In just another minute, I'm going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, I'm going to invite as many people as want to receive Christ to come stand down front here. And then I'm going to lead you in a single word of prayer so that you can receive Christ as your Savior and leave here knowing that your sins are forgiven. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, that makes me feel embarrassed. I'm uncomfortable coming forward. That means people will know that I'm a sinner. Welcome to the family. We all are. But for those of us who know Christ, you see, we know that our sins have been taken away. And we want that for you as well. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Three-star general Michael J. Flynn Head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency Knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.